so long you're going to need a drink. So uh, the Michael they were talking about and all those announcements, that's me. So if you don't know me yet, uh, there's another Pastor Michael here, but I'm cooler. I'm just, that's right, that's right. He's not here today, so yeah. No, I'd say it if he were here. <laughs> so like if, uh, so next Sunday we are going to have a baptism, so if you would like to go ahead and, and be baptized, uh, please give me, I'm the guy to give a holler. I'll be at the back door when the service is over. You can get a name and number to me and we'll set up something, okay? And uh, also Thursday night, the uh, date night accelerated, the DNA we're calling it, so uh, uh, only two now, so someone tagged me in the back okay. there. So anyway, so we've got a couple openings for that. Uh, and we're going to cover uh, the languages of marriage. It'll be a lot of fun. So, I like having fun. You may have picked up on that, and maybe maybe you didn't. I don't know. So, uh, we've, been, um, we've been in ministry a couple of years. A couple. And um, we've, we've talked, tried to help folks with their marriages before. And it's kind of, uh, kind of, I mean, there's a funny side to marriage. Don't you think there's a funny side to it? I mean, after the homicidal part. I mean, you're like, I don't know if they're waking up in the morning, you know. Um, <laughs> they snore one more time. I mean, <laughs> never mind. We don't want to go down that road. We'll stop there. But, you know, people come to us all the time. Hey, there's something wrong in our marriage. And we go like, well, what's wrong? And they go, we got trouble. And we go, no, 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 that's not wrong. That's right. Yeah. And, and they're like, what? That's not very comforting, is it? But Paul said this. In, uh, in the Bible, First <laughs> Corinthians chapter 7, verse 28. So if you get married, it's not a sin. Hey, well, that's good. And if you're a woman who gets married, that's not a sin. However, those who get married at this time will have troubles. And I'm trying to spare you those problems. <laughs> so if you're having trouble, you're par for the course, man. Good? You excited? No, not buying it. Not buying it at all. Now, Paul's obviously not saying this, that uh, sing, those who are single don't have problems. Obviously, he was single, and he had a lot of problems. Uh, he just didn't have mother-in-law problems, but that's another, <laughs> another issue altogether. So I, I just want to say that, that trouble in a marriage is, is par for the course. And I wanted to, to intro this message that way because uh, we need to understand that we should not be surprised by the trouble. It should not surprise us that two Broken, sinful, idolatrous, self-absorbed people are going to have problems living in a sacrificial manner that's required in marriage. That should not surprise us at all. And so today, we want to move into that part of, of marriage, um, the, a powerful tool of marriage to help us deal with the homicidal tendencies and and the, uh, the trouble, so to speak. We want to prepare for those. So we want to, give you, we want to start, intro, just two, way, two things that we believe you, you've got to have to have a successful happily ever after. And the first one, I'll just plunge in with probably the most offensive point, is this. <laughs> a strong faith. Now I know you're in church going, yeah, well, yeah, of course. We want a strong faith in our marriage. Well, let me, let me take that a little bit deeper in marriage, both of you need a strong faith. Both of you do. The, Paul said that in 2 Corinthians 6.15. He says, how can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And so I just want to say as a pastor, I've seen this happen many times. A young woman, or not even a young woman, a single woman will be a part of our fellowship. They will be very broken. They will get close to Christ. They will heal. And then they will, quote-unquote, fall in love with an unbeliever. 
and then begin to undo everything that Jesus did for them. Okay? And so, yeah, that's, that is a passion of mine as a pastor. It breaks my heart. And sometimes, once you've done things long enough and you've helped people long enough, you can see the sequence of events that are going to occur, and you, you want to be wrong. So let me help you right now. If you are in that single stage, do not fall for an unbeliever. Okay? Don't just save yourself that trouble. There's enough trouble in marriage without having to fight about faith. The heartache is real. And as one of my former pastors used to say, marriage is a lousy place for a mission field. So I think that was good. Changing them just isn't going to work like you think. So we need a strong faith. The next thing you need is a strong character. Um, Inability to forgive or an unwillingness to communicate or even listen is just immaturity. And it's a product of pride and self-absorption. Mark Gunger, who is... um, he has a ministry called Laugh Your Way to a Better Marriage. He says every conflict in a marriage boils down to one question. Why can't you be more like me? So that's the question. But it takes real humility to admit I have a lot to learn about this person, right? And by the way, if you keep finding yourself in bad relationships, you need to check out your character first. So... Um, and uh, Les and Leslie Parrott, in their book, The Good Fight, they say that marriage, um, a marriage relationship, or relationships, I guess, relationships, have yeah. uh, four stages. There are four stages to relationship. And the first is um, false relationship. That's encouraging, isn't it? <laughs> so this is what dating is all about, right? It's, you're not really trying to get to know each other. You're really trying to present who you think that other person wants you to be. And so that's, that's what dating is all about. And, you know, we got to admit, a lot of times it's not real it's real uncomfortable and it can be downright deceptive so some couples some some couples complain my spouse is trying to change me but maybe they're just saying hey i just want you to be the person that you advertised <laughs> that you were when we were dating so um yeah so the first stage is um, false relationship and then false wa- relationship gives way to chaos as you begin to realize well i can't wear this mask forever i got to be who i really am uh, things start to get real, and authenticity sounds great. And we talk about it all the time in community and small groups. You know, we want to be authentic. Uh, but being authentic just means being real, and being real leads to chaos. And uh, things are like, well, okay, short for chaos is fights. You know, we, the boat starts rocking. You start wondering, what was I thinking marrying this person? You know, that's why... God said, God said to build a marriage on a vow and a covenant to hold you through the false relationship and the chaos that comes as that breaks down, to hold you together through all of that kind of stuff. But let me say this, these stages are necessary. It is important to move from false relationship into the chaos. Until things break down, they can't get real and they can't be rebuilt. So first stage is false relationship. Second stage is chaos. And the third stage is emptiness. Now, I know this sounds hopeless or like some existential void, but it's really a letting go. It's letting go of the need or, or the, the desire to change or control your partner. Now, we've seen multi, multi-decade marriages never get to this point of, of 
where they can just stop trying to control and change their partner and conform them into the part. Remember, why can't you be more like me, right? right? But when you let go and you choose to accept that person that you got, not necessarily the one that was advertised <laughs> or the one that you imagined, um, then real growth can, can occur in your relationship. And the stage is set. For general, genuine, oh, it was beautiful. That was a beautiful setup. I'm sorry, and I dropped it. <laughs> Happens sometimes for genuine relationship, and this is this is the place where great marriage is born, in our opinion. It's a place where you get to be yourself, uh, that you can be real with each other in spite of your imperfections. It's a place where you can be vulnerable and open and honest and and deep, and and it's good. It's good to me. Uh, we've discussed what is great marriage. It's a discussion we've had um, um, between ourselves. And, and we believe great marriage is a place where you can deal with your issues, your problems, your whatever, the, the things that are stressing you or causing conflict, where you can talk about those, resolve them, and be yourself. And so a marriage that you come home on eggshells, that's not a great marriage. That's a marriage that has some growing to do. Well, they all have growing to do. But it, so we don't, we don't want that. We want ge real, genuine relationships. So today, to move us, to help us each move through those stages, we want to look at a scripture that I think is incredibly powerful for this. And we want to begin that scripture with an admission. And this is the admission. It's on the screen behind me. Relationships cannot survive if they are transactional. And, and what I mean by that is, is if we are always giving and getting in a relationship, we're always looking at it that way, then that is not, the relationship's going to struggle surviving. And now, it's not to say that it should always be you all giving and them always receiving or vice versa. It's just realizing when it becomes a transactional relationship, it's not a healthy place for a marriage to be, and that's not where God wants it to be. And the proof of that is in God's story. So we're going to use the story of Hosea, and Hosea, the book of Hosea is this beautiful book where God displays what is going on in his relationship, which he compares to a marriage-like relationship with the nation of Israel. And in that story, he tells the prophet Hosea to go out and marry a, a woman who's a prostitute. He tells Hosea to get into a bad marriage on purpose so that he can display the kind of relationship he has with Israel, and also display what real love is. And that's the story of the book of Hosea. It's a book of what real sacrificial love looks like in a marriage specifically. And so I'm going to read a few I'm going to read some selections out of Hosea. First, God's part of it, and then Hosea's. So verse two, chapter 2 of verse 13 of Hosea says this, God speaking, I will punish her, for all those times when she burned incense to her images of Baal, when she put on her earrings and jewels and went out to look for her lovers, but forgot all about me. So this is God's situation, and it's a very dire statement. I will punish her. Okay, that doesn't sound good at all. Not like a healthy relationship. But then he goes on to say this in verse 14. But then I will win her back once again. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her there. I will return her vineyards to, vineyards to her and transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. She will give herself to me there as she did long ago when she was young, when I freed her from her captivity in Egypt. And when that day comes, says the Lord, 
you will call me my husband instead of my master. Now this is God's heart toward the nation of Israel, which he uses the analogy of marriage to display. Then we turn to Hosea in chapter 3, and he's dealing with his problems with Gomer, who he entered a bad marriage and she left him. And God says this in Hosea 3.1 to Hosea. Then the Lord said to me, to Hosea, Go and love your wife again, even though she commits adultery with another lover. This will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel, even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them. So I bought her back for 15 pieces of silver and five bushels of barley and a measure of wine. There's a lot in that story. I'm not going to get into it a whole lot, but what I want to begin to see first is God's justice and love. Most people struggle with God because of his justice. We, we, in fact, our image of God is completely loaded with the negative aspects of his justice. And we often cannot see that, that the negative aspects of his justice also portray a positive aspect of justice. We need justice in our world. And it's hard for us to understand that if God ever stops being just, he ceases to be God, and then you enter into a whole theological conundrum about what would even happen to us if God stops being God. Sometimes I would like to say that our very existence proves that God exists, but that's for another sermon, I suppose. The point is simply this. God is a just God. He held Israel accountable. He's a holy God, but he's also a God of love. He's not just her master, he's her husband. So let's look at God as a husband. <coughs> Listen to what God said. He said, I, but I will win her back. God was essentially in a bad marriage and uh, with an adulterous woman, the nation of Israel. She had cheated on him. She had even gone into prostitution. She had betrayed him in every way possible. But he said, I will win her back. Now, I know you're not God, but you may be a husband or a wife. Let me ask you a question. Did you get married for love or for law? Did you get married because you wanted somebody to owe you? Or did you get married to love and be loved? If you got married for love, then love, don't law. Let God handle the law. And you learn to love. You okay? Mm -hmm. Okay. She's a little choked up today. She's allergic to me. Um. (laughs) And as God loves her, then we see this story about how far God would go, and by extension, how far Hosea would go. So in verse 14 of chapter 2, God says, I will win her back once again. And then in Hosea chapter 3, verse 2, you see Hosea going, he says, so I bought her back for 15 pieces of silver, and so on. I want, to wrap your, I want us to wrap our head around this, this trip here from brokenness to restoration in God and in Hosea. And think about what that would be like. So I think it's easier to step in Hosea's shoes. Here he is, a shamed, embarrassed husband. His wife has left him. She's returned to adultery. And the fact that he had to buy her back tells us that she was in human slavery. She was now a slave. He, and so he's married her. She leaves him, ends up in slavery. The only way he gets her back is to buy her back. But I want you to think about the rejection that Hosea had to feel as he's going, obeying God to go get his wife. 
the rejection, the inadequate feelings, all of those kinds of things. And I want to say that because as a, as a minister and as in counseling situations, some of the things we, we hear this pain frequently. From a, from a woman, it's something like this. I, I just want to be loved. I need to feel love. And you hear the brokenness of, of a wife who just does not feel like her husband loves her. And on the other side of the equation, we, we have the husband who says to us, he doesn't say, I don't feel love. He usually says, I just don't feel respected. I feel like that at work, everybody respects me, but at home, she doesn't. And if my wife doesn't respect me, how can anyone respect me? And those are the kinds of conversations that we have pretty frequently. And so I just want you to know that there's a, there is a pain in this process. I want to connect you with it because I want you all to see that it, it's not abnormal to have these feelings. This is part of the trouble that Paul's talking about. In order to overcome those feelings, we, we've got we've to learn to love. We've got to connect with, with God's love toward us that we don't deserve and love our partner, even though they, we may not feel that they deserve it. I didn't leave you a good lead in. It's okay. Um, so love must be redefined by Christ's followers. God told Hosea, go and love your wife again, even though she commits adultery with another lover. To love again, to really give and receive love again, this, this is not a small thing, right? This isn't, I love you and I love the way you make me feel. This is, I love you, it feels great, but if it didn't, I still love you. I still choose to love you. Ephesians 5.25 says, For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. And Titus 2.4 says, These older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children. Now, if the older women can train the younger women to love, then the younger women can learn to love. That means it's a choice to, to choose to love again. Either way, husbands or wives. It's so much more than a feeling, love is. Um, we really learned this ourselves um, when God gave us Cayman. We were really struggling with the implications that was going to have on our life. Uh, we had seven sons at the time, and then God gave us a special needs child. And many of you have been down that road yourselves, or are on that journey. And a, a, a teacher that we love to listen to, a man named Norm Wakefield, uh, has a, a grown daughter now that has Down syndrome. And he has a talk, a, a message, about dealing with that special needs situation. And in that talk, he helped me see that we live in a world that is so caught up in everyone being useful. I mean, we, everyone's supposed to have value, they're supposed to work, they're supposed to contribute, they're supposed to do all these things. And the problem our, our world has is we don't see any value in people who can't be useful like everyone else is useful. And that's kind of stupid, but that's, that is how we see things. And so I, he, he helped me see that God gave, gives us children and adults with special needs not for what they give to society or for what they're useful for, but for what they bring out of us. Because I'm telling you, I thought, well, okay, I never thought I was a patient man because I had a lot of people helping me know that I'm not, you know. <laughs> but when came and came, what little patience I had was tested to a whole new length. And, uh, I, and, and out of that, God started and still is, because I'm still not very patient, 
Can you imagine me without Cayman? You can't. But anyway, um, <laughs> God started pulling out of me a deeper, more unconditional love. L- love isn't what you feel. I mean, yes, there are dividends of feelings from, that are connected to love. I'm not saying that. But love is what you give. And I think if you really want to, I think the, the only way to really capture what real love is is to really meditate upon the cross of Jesus. That is the perfect love statement of what love actually looks like. Right. And relationships are built upon sacrifices, not compromise. Compromise says I'll meet you halfway, but sacrifice says I'll go all the way. I'll do as much as it takes. So let's look at Nehemiah 4.14. Well, the first sacrifice that we're going to look at is a sacrifice of conflict. Woo! That sounds exciting in your marriage, right? Sacrifice of conflict. Nehemiah 4.14 says, Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. So is a better marriage worth a fight? Anything <laughs> worthwhile involves some kind of fight, doesn't some it? Some folks got excited and some folks so, got scared. Do you like the way I said fight? <laughs> sometimes I like a good fight. <laughs> All right, so a better marriage will not just happen. It's going to take um, honest conflict. Okay, honest conflict is good for your marriage. Now, of course, there is conflict that's not good for your marriage. It's bad for your marriage. So bad conflict consists of blame shifting, power struggles, um, escalating and unresolved tension. Those things are not, that's not good for your marriage. The most basic of conflicts in your marriage harms your relationship, and it's summed up in one word, pride. But conflict that helps a marriage is good, and it's marked by maturity. When we truly understand, and we, and we work to understand the underlying issues that, that are causing this conflict, a lot of times the conflict is a symptom of the underlying issues. And so when we work to find out what those underlying issues are and work to resolve them, then we're making progress and we're building a better relationship. If you have a lot of tension in your marriage right now, Chances are, now this isn't absolute, if you feel like you're starting to resolve things, then this doesn't apply. But if the tensions are there and they're escalating, chances are you're fighting about not the issue. You're fighting the symptoms. You're fighting over the the things that the real problem is causing rather than the problem itself. And so you, you need to deal with that. So there was a movie came out in the late 90s with Brad Pitt called The Fight Club. I'm not recommending the movie, but there are... I'm a movie junkie, so I kind of like films and so forth. But there are eight rules of Fight Club. The first two are we don't talk about Fight Club. Now, the movie has a a deep nihilistic theme. You know, basically everything's worthless. One of the famous quotes in the film is, when the fight was over, nothing was solved, but nothing mattered, and we all felt saved. That, That sounds absurd in my thinking, but it really cried out to a generation of young men who felt and still feel like they are unwanted and have no place in our society. So Fight Club spoke to them. And so it, was a, it formed a theology as much as anything. Now, I'm not recommending the eight rules of Fight Club. However, it's probably better than some of the rules you're using. I thought that was funny. Um, but apparently it wasn't. That's okay. too true. It hurt. So we're going to recommend a, a, a core of marriage that we got from the parrots. So let's look at the core of your marriage. Cooperation, ownership, respect, and empathy. So cooperation is we fight for a win-win. These are, 
We don't fight against each other. We fight for us. Amen. Remember, Nehemiah 4.14 said, fight for your sons, your, your uh, daughters, your wives, your homes. So we, it's not a competition. We're not, when we have a conflict, it's not you lose, I win. Right. Because if you lose, we both lose. Right. So we fight for a win-win. And then there's ownership. And that's where I own my part of the problem. Uh, one of the things that's really hard, especially in a marital conflict, is doing this, is owning your part of the problem. Actually, one of the hardest things is an actual apology. Most apologies have disclaimers. You know, like, well, if I offended you, I'm sorry. Do you know what that means? That means you're a big baby <laughs> for getting offended, and you're making me apologize. It's a jerk thing to say. It's not a nice way to apologize. How do you actually apologize? You own your part of the problem. I, here, here's the best way to apologize. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? That's it. That's it. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? No, no caveats. Nothing on them. That's how you do it. So you own your part of the problem. One little word here to the martyrs in the room. I know that there are folks in the room who you will take on all the blame just to get to the place of peace. Okay? That's dishonest. You can't take on what's not yours. You own your part of the problem. Okay? You can forgive, but it doesn't mean that we bury things. We'll talk about that a little bit in our um, DNAs about folks who like to bury things and so forth. All right, and the R in core stands for respect. We don't belittle each other. We don't say things like, way to go, Einstein. That's a real genius. You're a regular genius. <laughs> sarcasm is my only gift. That, that's right. He has the <laughs> gift of sarcasm. But that doesn't just say that was stupid. It says you're stupid, right? That's right. So right. we don't do that. And sometimes um, belittling, um, disrespecting is just a look. It, you, can, you can say a lot with just your look, especially us ladies. We know how to give those looks. So, so we don't I'm do not that. Any comments we, yeah, there. and I'm don't make good. any faces either. So, <laughs> see, I knew that was. <laughs> so, uh, many of us grew up in homes where we, where we did that sarcasm or, or just very disrespectful. We make other people feel stupid. Don't do that to your spouse. Remember, they're a good willed person, right? If right. they weren't, you wouldn't have married them. They were smart enough to marry you. So give them a little credit for that and try to remember that. And the E stands for empathy. We need to fight from each other's position and trade places and see things that, from our partner's perspective. These are some simple four rules for dealing with conflict in your marriage. I know it's not a magic bullet. It's basically some ground rules so that you can have an actual conversation. And, uh, man, I w you know, we don't have time to go into all. I mean, conflict in a marriage is its own series, you know, of how to deal with some of those problems. But, but let, me, let me help you see it this way. Conflict is an opportunity. Conflict is an opportunity in your marriage to come closer together. If you can have a conflict and start to communicate and then reconcile the conflict, you will hit a new plane of growth in your relationship, okay? It's a powerful thing. And so we, we so if, is your marriage worth a good fight, not just a fight, but a good fight that treats my partner with respect and cooperation and ownership and empathy? The second sacrifice is one of responsibility. So the Bible says this in Galatians chapter 6, verse 5, and every Christian needs to read this verse. <laughs> It simply says, we are each responsible 
for our own conduct. We are each responsible for our own conduct. The way you are is your responsibility. Do you understand that? This is really important. I understand things have happened in your life. We've endured abuses, attacks, even violence. But you are still responsible for you. The minute you give that responsibility away to your abuser or attacker, you become a victim. And when you are a victim, you have no control over your life or the things that are hurting you. God tells us we are responsible. What's He doing? He's giving us the, basically the ability to not control our lives without Him, but to step into the driver's seat with Him and, and move in our lives. So a lot of things may be happening in your marriage that are a response to your own wounds, to the, the hurts, the brokenness that you've endured. And so we need to take responsibility there. And the only way that we're ever going to be free of those wounds of our past is to take responsibility for their healing. We can't go back and erase anything that's happened. We can't change the past, but we can find support, counseling, prayer, whatever we need to allow God to heal those things. And also we can provide those kinds of support and encouragement for our spouse if we see that they have a wound that needs attention. You know, I was given some really good... um, had marital advice uh, years ago that, um, well, let me just say, we talked a little bit last week about praying together, and that's a really good thing to do. You really need to pray with your spouse, and I know it's awkward and uncomfortable, but but go there. You know, it's awkward and uncomfortable to go to the bank and ask to borrow hundreds of thousands of dollars to buy a new house, right? But we do it. Why do we do it? Because we want a better house, <laughs> right? So, mar- uh, Praying with your spouse, get past the awkward and do it, and pray for them. But, but praying with them, but you can also pray for them when you're not with them. So right. back to the advice I was given, um, someone told me early in our marriage to talk to Michael about his strengths and talk to God about his weaknesses. And that is great advice. I've tried to live by that and encourage him, but when... Um, he, when I see something that he needs help, healing, I pray for him, and we need to do that for our spouses. So uh, remember, a good marriage is a product of two broken lives healed into one. So not only does your relationship, do you have something to say right there? Okay. No, I have okay. to cough. Okay, cough. So not only does our relationship need the sacrifice of conflict, the sacrifice of responsibility, but also the sacrifice of forgiveness. Um, Colossians 3:13 and 14 says, "Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony." So is a great marriage worth the forgiveness it will take? Many people struggle with forgiveness, but we need to remember that forgiveness is necessary, and forgiveness is always a gift. It cannot be earned. By its very nature, it cannot be earned. And so we realize that we've been forgiven. I've been forgiven. I did not deserve for God to forgive me, but I've been forgiven, and so therefore I can forgive. Remember, forgiveness is never about trusting people. It's about trusting God. So forgiveness, remember, you're forgiven. You you can forgive other people, and it's a choice. It may not always feel 
like it's easy because normally it's not. Right. But right. it is a choice, and we all need to make that choice to forgive. And you want to speak to the forgiveness and the, tr- you know, like forgiveness is for now, and we oh, just yeah. talked about that. So there, forgiveness is actually part of a trinity of, um, of thought. And the, the forgiveness is for the past. Um, reconciliation is for the present, and trust is for the future. Now, what most people, the impression they're under, especially if you had a Christian upbringing, or church upbringing, is that forgiveness is all three of those things. Well, no, forgiveness is part of those three things. And so you can have a, an issue in your marriage, and you can deal with the past through forgiveness. Okay, And we should do that. Some things we should just overlook and just forgive, but most things... Most things have to be addressed, if I could throw that out there, okay? A lot of times we're really just burying the past and saying that we're being forgiving, and, and it's not true. That stuff crawls out of the ground like a zombie and will come and eat your brains, all right? So I love that analogy and use it every chance I get. So, uh, so forgiveness for the past, but right now is reconciliation. Reconciliation in the, is in the present. Can I let this go? Can we be done with this? Can we find a place where we can go forward together as a couple? And that, that is really important to come to a place. Not everything involves my partner changing or me changing. Sometimes we've realized this. We've been married longer. You, you kind of get to a place where you feel like, uh, you know, it's okay that she's that way. It's not how I am. But it's okay that she is. Because a lot of things about your partner that bug you are the very things that attracted you to them in the first place. Right? And because they're opposite of you. And some things you can just, you you can reconcile. It's okay. It's okay that you like to get up at 5 in the morning and I like to get up at 9. As long as you don't wake me. (laughs) We can reconcile that. Okay? But trust is a different matter altogether. And what that means is to get to trust, we have to rebuild relationship. That's something we need to understand in our marriage, okay? If you have an infidelity or a trust, some kind of trust break in the marriage, you can forgive, you can reconcile, but getting to trust is a journey, and that is necessary. That's not just okay, that is necessary, okay? You, like if you ha- especially if you're in an abusive relationship, and that person asks for your forgiveness, and, and then they, you bring them back into your life, it's a journey to trust, you don't just put yourself back in a dangerous situation because they ask forgiveness. Does that make sense? Give me a nod if that makes sense, okay? You don't, not that you're agreeing. You can disagree. It's okay to be wrong. <laughs> just kidding. So think about that trinity. Now there are at least five things. I'm going to say six things that couples fight about a lot. Money. Anybody fight about money? In the, no, don't raise your hands. Okay. Money, sex, career, parenting, fighting over the kids, housework. And my sixth one is in-laws. I... I not that we fight about, well, I don't like her dad. No, I'm just kidding. He's a great guy. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You know, in-law relationships and those kind of things can be challenging when you are not used to being from that kind of family. If, you, if your relationship's going to survive, if you're going to survive as a loving couple, even get to that point of a great marriage, there's going to be a lot of conflicts along the way. Take responsibility as often as possible and then forgive each other liberally. My... My question is we basically conclude this series through about what we're through what we're about to do is that question of how much is your marriage worth? Okay? Um, I I encounter people often that are ready to be done, jump ship, 
you know, it, it's too hard. And I get it. There's no judgment coming from me to people who are there. I just want to raise this question. If you're going to start all over, why not start all over with the person you started with? Why not try that? I mean, and maybe you have, and maybe you've done it two or three times, and you're ready to give up at this point. I understand and, and respect the frustration that comes in and brings you to that point. But I do believe from the bottom of my heart that your best shot of happiness is with the person you're with. I also believe that God is still in the miracle-making business. Um, I have seen marriages turned around through prayer more than anything, to be honest with you. Usually, when you are at an impasse, someone has to soften. And usually it takes God to do that. I hope you're not at an impasse today. I really hope what's really going on in the room is you, the, those that are married, those of you guys who are looking, maybe at getting married one day, I hope your heart is that I, I want to have my happily ever after. God wants me to have that in a, in a way that demonstrates His goodness and His grace. I, I want you to want that. But I also understand some of you are in crisis. And, or maybe you are in crisis. And if you're in crisis, it can be really hard to see past that. So let's start with, from a different place. Let's start today from a place of forgiveness. Let's lay out that third sacrifice. The sacrifice of conflict, it's coming, whether you want it to or not. If you're a peacekeeper, peace bury stuff, it doesn't matter. Conflict will come. Responsibility, the sacrifice of responsibility, I believe is incredibly powerful to, to put you back in charge of your life or back in a place where you're at least moving things in the direction you need to go. But the sacrifice of forgiveness, it's like the reset button. It's like, I always think of that, that staples button. That was easy, but that's not, that's, not, that's not forgiveness. It's never easy, but it'd be nice if there was a button. Of course, if we had one in our homes on the counter, we hit it every time we need to, to forgive our spouse, it would probably just be going off all day, wouldn't it? Ding, ding. Honey, what are you doing in there? Nothing. Ding, that was easy, that was easy. <laughs> So I'm going to ask you to stand with me right now. I'm going to ask Brother Pastor Steve if he'd come and, and take the piano and just give me some soft music behind what we're about to do. And I'm going to ask you all to stand. I know not everyone in this room is married, and some of you are single and different things, and that's okay. You could just pray for folks, and, and also you can apply the stuff we've talked about today to just any relationship, by the way. But I'm going to ask you to bow your head, close your eyes just for a minute, and I'm going to ask you to pray for your spouse. Pray toward them. You know, you can, in fact, if you have, uh, your, if your spouse is with you, you might want to hold their hand if they'll let you. I mean, they may not. Men, I wonder if you could pray something like this, and I'm just going to pray it, and uh, just uh, take a minute, and you may have some other things in your heart toward your wife, but let's just let the Holy Spirit connect us right now. And let's pray something in our heart that sounds like this. God, thanks for my wife. I don't know what I'd do without her. I know she is your gift in this life to me. And Father, I haven't always treated her like a gift. 
I haven't always loved her like I should. And I've often failed to give her what she really, really needed, which was me. And which was you. So Lord, would you forgive me? And would you help her to know that I want to do a better job of loving her? Now maybe if you're a wife in this room and you'd pray something like this. Father, thanks for my husband. Thanks for a shot at a happily ever after in this life. I know he's a gift from you to me. And I thank you. Father, I haven't always respected him like he needed. I didn't always understand what that language even meant. And Father, if you'd help me to respect him and to honor him and to forgive him, then Lord, help me to respect him going forward. Father, I've just offered up a couple of possible prayers. We might pray there are infinite prayers that could be offered up and have been offered up in this room. Lord, I know you heal marriages. I know you make wounds of the past fade. The scars because of your hand no longer remain just because of your grace. And Lord, I know that you want to tell the world a story of your love through our marriages. You want our kids to see what it looks like to love somebody to the end of herself and beyond. So Lord, give us a, an unconditional, agape, God-like, cross-exemplified love for each other. Lord, I know we can change the world. I know it sounds like a huge thing. Everybody says that you can change the world, but I know we can. But somehow we do it through love. And Lord, although I honestly confess, I have no idea what that looks like so often. I know your love through me, through Christy, toward each other, toward you, toward our children, toward our community, your love changes everything. Lord, would you bathe this room in forgiveness right now? Just a, a cloud rising up from our feet to our knees, to our chest, to our heads that just enables forgiveness. And forgiveness is freedom. So here we're being enabled to be free. And Lord, that you would heal. I pray for great conversations to come out of the series. I pray for great marriage in Rock Springs. The devil's won long enough. I ask you to end his reign of divorce and brokenness and restore the kingdom, the story of Jesus in marriage. In his name I pray, amen. So worship team comes, we're going to sing.
nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but only trust in Jesus' name. 